This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And you know our goal, we want to provide all of you with some really good information so that you make some really good decisions on on real estate. No more bad decisions like what happened 10, 15 years ago. Um, You know, we're going to be so educated now as a consumer base that we won't make those mistakes that happened a few years ago that hurt everybody. I, I even think it hurt some of the young home buyers that became afraid to buy because they said, oh, wow, look what happened to my parents. Um, but um, that didn't have to happen and won't happen again because we're going to make some good decisions. And to help me out today, we have in the studio Alex Salazar. He's a realtor with Century 21 M&M Real Estate and based out of Madera. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Th- thanks for being down here in the studio, making the trip all the way from Madera. Yeah. All right. But, you know, we're closer than what we used to be. That's I, right. You you may not know this, but many years ago, 40 years ago, I bought a house in Madera thinking this is the next bedroom community of Fresno. One of these decades, I'm going to be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I have been yet. <laughs> In fact, um, it was funny because back when I bought, they, you know, I looked, they, the, the Department of Real Estate makes the uh, builder come out with a thing called a white paper where it tells all the prospective purchasers what's happening in the community. And I saw that a community college was going to go in. And um, I saw that a, a new high school was going to go into that area. I think it was probably 30 years until those things actually did go in. <laughs> well, now we do have a community college, and we have three high schools, one one under construction right now. Oh, really? Where's that at? Uh, it's on Avenue 7, I'm sorry, Road 26 in Martin. Uh, they broke ground last year. It's called Matilda Torres High. It's our third high school, and uh, that's going to be opened up in 2020, class of 2020. Is that northwest? That's going to be uh, like off of Avenue 17 and 99, so yeah, northeast, uh, east end of Madeira. Oh, okay. Yeah. Country well, Club Estates. By the Country Club. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Ah, great. Yeah. Um, have you ever golfed at that golf course? I have been on the golf course. I can't say I've golfed. <laughs> I'm not a golfer. No. Okay. Uh-uh. Well, I, I've golfed, but I can't say I'm a golfer either. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's exciting to know. So, so Madera is is a growing community. That's right. And um, you're pretty active out there too. I understand you're on the planning commission. That's correct. I'm on the planning commission, and I was on the transportation advisory board last year too. Great. Yeah. And later in the show, I want to get into that because I'm curious. What 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 does a planning commissioner do? Good. I'm curious, too. <laughs> it's kind of like my golf, right? That's right? You do it, but yet you, don't, you can't call yourself one. Okay. Be humble there, Alex. <laughs> Thanks so much. So how long have you been a realtor for? So I've been a realtor now uh, about 13 years, 13, 14 years. Uh, but my career started a little bit sooner than that. Uh, 
my mother, I'd like to, still, I'd like to share this story a lot. My mom got into real estate in 1999. Uh, Lucy Salazar, she's a realtor at Century 21 too. We still work together. I know your mother. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, she got her license in 99. Uh, she was looking for another career. And I was in high school at the time, jumped right in as her assistant, did that through high school. She paid pretty well. And, um, I got my license right after that, right after high school, about 19, 20 years old. I got my license and been selling houses ever since. You know, I'm going to have to talk to your mother and find out how she was able to get you involved at that age of 18, 19 years old. I tried that with my son, and I said, hey, Stephen, you ever think about getting your real estate license and working with me? And he looked at me and goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, I don't want to work that many hours. (laughs) Well, you know, I have three siblings, and my older sister is a lender. Uh, we don't all work for the same company, but, uh, yeah, we all got into it together. My two younger siblings, however, same thing like your son. Absolutely no interest in real estate whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, it, it was a family effort then. It's still a family effort now, and we jumped right in, and we're still going out today. Of course, karma kicks in, right? He didn't want to work that many hours. Yeah. So he just worked the last two years on a cruise ship in Hawaii, which yeah. sounds great. Sure. Except that it's 12-hour shifts seven days a week for five months before you get your first day off. Wow. And you don't get to leave work. Yeah. You have to stay there. That's right. Sounds like real estate. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) See, he could have had a real estate career. There you go. Um, Let's get into... Aren't you, you hold a position with the Madera Association of Realtors. That's you correct. You are the president. I am I, the president for 2019. This is my third year being president, not third year in a row. I was president in 2016. Uh, I was uh, appointed president last year. Unfortunately, our 2018 president had to resign. She had some illness, so I took over for her year last year, And but this is my true year, 2019. So, yeah, president, Madera Association of Realtors. I was the GAD, Government Affairs Director. I know um, your buddy here, Gerard Lozano, can appreciate that. I was the GAD for Madera, um, and so, yeah, I've been pretty involved in Madera over there. What does a Government Affairs Director do? I don't know. We should ask no. Gerard, too. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's basically... Um, a resource for realtors and associations, local government, county government, issues, school board, uh, what's happening you know, with subdivisions and planning commission and all that kind of stuff. It's an individual who keeps their finger on the pulse of issues and, and activity in Madeira, reports it back to the association. The association kind of figures out if they should you know, be involved. So let's say there was a really bad housing bill going on in Sacramento and it was coming out, the GAD or the government affairs director would be the one to say, hey, I looked this over, and to our association, you guys should... They are that liaison. So CAR, for instance, if they had information on that um, issue or policy, whatever, shares it with the government affairs directors. Government affairs directors then share it with the associations. Um, Might, you know, have a good communication or relationship with local city council people, um, you know, decision makers, right? Mm-hmm. And to either try to influence, to oppose, support, maybe an issue, something like that, too. I'll give you a good example. Uh, Fresno has a rental inspection ordinance, well, so does Madera. And GADS got pretty involved in opposing or supporting those things, uh, i.e. associations, too. And it's a lot of work of the GADS, too, to be on top of those issues. So I'm curious, because I know what Fresno's rental... Uh, inspection um, program is. What, what's Madeira's like? You know, it's actually pretty similar to Fresno's. 
Um, uh, but they're doing it a little bit different phases. So houses built prior to 19, I think 1978, uh, is kind of like phase one for Madeira. Um, so, uh, rental management ordinances, those homes, uh, those, uh, non-owner occupied properties have to register with the city, uh, as such, uh, and then therefore have to, I think every other year, um, kind of update if their houses are occupied, have carbon monoxide detectors, smoke detectors, and so on and so forth. But it also allows the tenants to complain on slumlords. You know, my slumlord's not taking care of the mold. I have X, Y, Z issues. And so there's a lot of debate there on, you know, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But I think what it does is it opens up a conversation about our housing, uh, dilapidated or such, you know, in some certain areas. And it allows also the realtors to come in and have a conversation of how can we improve that, too. So the mm-hmm. Bader Association opposed the rental inspection ordinance, but we had an opportunity to actually work with the city uh, to at least uh, have our input in there and uh, let them know things that we're going to work for the realtors and landlords. That is very, very important. The fact that you guys were able to work with the city and give input um, because there are unintended consequences that can come up. Um, great example is if this mandatory inspection gets too big, too onerous, a lot of your, the unintended consequence is the mom and pops, the, the people that own two rentals or three rentals, they got to get out of the business because they can't afford to hire a full-time person just to be uh, you know, to check on this all the time and work with the uh, the city. So that's go- the unintended consequence is your small investors are going to get out and the big ones are going to take over. And then that's not really, I think that's where the root of the problem is. The smaller the investor, probably the more interactive they are. Right. And, you know, um, the city's city of Madera's intention isn't to put people out of business, especially mom and pops. You know, a uh, few people who might have a couple of rentals. Um, you know, and say all of these people are just regular people like you and I, right? Saved a little bit of money, worked hard for a long, long time. Saved a little bit of money, were able to buy a couple of rentals. You know, have no intention of being slumlords, um, but maybe they have a bad tenant. Maybe they have a 40 or 50 year old property that just needs, you know, deferred maintenance. And so the city isn't there to punish those people, but bring them in and let make them realize that A, you have some issues, B, let's help you get on a program uh, to to resolve some of these things. So I think it also gives some accountability to landlords who maybe don't know how to manage their properties too. I see. Mm-hmm. So it's not an all bad thing. Not an all bad thing. And I don't think investors should, you know, be scared of rental inspection ordinances. Look at it as a way and a tool to help you maintain and be a better landlord. You know, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, you're going to have a better property, you're going to have a better relationship with the city, and you're going to have a better tenant at the end of the day too. So, you know, as a small investor, and I, and I do have some rentals, I, I've always felt bad because I, I feel like it's their home, not mine. And I feel bad calling them up saying, hey, somebody's got to go mow that lawn. You, you know, uh, yeah. And I, and to these particular people, I've even offered yard service. Oh, no, that's my husband's, you know, uh, solitude, and he loves doing it. So I haven't messed with it. But... Now I can make the city the bad guy. Right. You know, uh, so uh, there are positive aspects to sure. it. Um, how long has Madeira has been going on? 
this is probably year two. Now, I'll give you another little interesting story. The uh, code enforcement gentleman, uh, City of Madeira, who helped, who reached out to, this, to the Madeira Association of Realtors to work on the rental inspection ordinance, ran for city council. Well, we opposed the rental inspection ordinance, but nonetheless, he worked with us. We worked with him. We supported him. He won, Steve Montes. I supported him. I was his campaign manager in 2018, and he appointed me to planning commission. So full circle here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He brought an issue that he knew was going to impact local real estate. He brought it to the people. He didn't just create an issue and, and you know throw it down the industry's throat or anything like that. He worked with the community, and so we, we thought he was a good leader, and we, we helped him get elected. That's great. And when we get back from our first commercial break, I want to get into the planning commission and see how does a city plan for development. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And here in the studio with us, we have Alex Salazar live all the way from Madera, California. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being down here and sharing, and I'm going to say, some of your very unique experiences. Um, you have a unique experience of being a three-time president of the Madera Association of Realtors. You have that unique experience as the government affairs director, where you're the conduit between elected officials and the realtor association. Now let's get into your unique experience as a planning commissioner. So what kind of issues are facing cities today uh, as far as planning? Well, you know, um, first of all, this is my first year as planning commissioner. I was appointed in December of 2018, and I've only come across uh, three um, meetings so far, planning commissions. Um, but so far, what we've talked about is new housing, new development coming to Madeira, uh, new businesses, uh, including some uh, a big um, Industrial business, uh, full throttle suspension, is actually going to be relocating to Madeira, building a 101,000 square foot uh, manu- uh, bu- business. Uh, so they're bringing new industrial into Madeira, and we're talking up also about um, you know some new retail spots. Uh, we're getting a third Starbucks. Uh, little old Madeira is getting a third Starbucks. Uh, so hey, come on, we have one on stuff. every corner. I know, but you we're guys so excited. got some catching up to we're do. We're so excited that we got a third Starbucks coming up in Madeira. <laughs> And so, anyways, this is, you know, it's, it sounds funny, but it's, it's big progress for Madeira. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. How do you plan a community well, you know? Um, some of the new subdivisions that are coming up. Um, where's our green space, you know? Are we going to have uh, community parks? You know, these subdivisions, they're not very big. They're maybe 90-something houses or so. I mean, compared to Fresno, that's a pretty small um, subdivision. But these are 90-something houses um, between some a uh, couple high schools and elementary schools. Where's our green space? So those are the kind of questions that planning commissioners ask developers. And then they implement those kind of plans into their developments. So for the longest time, most cities around the state of California had um, – restrictions it said the minimum lot size is 6,000 square feet so basically four to five um, homes per acre and that was the minimum but then somebody realized that hey wait a minute we have urban sprawl and the city's got to pay to put a new high school out there you got to pay to put 
a new fire department out there to service the area, not to mention water lines, sewer lines. So now it seems like they're trying to draw that back and say instead of 6,000, maybe 4,000 is more appropriate. Are, are, you, are there any mandates that say you have to do that, or is it just incentive-based? Um, there are no mandates, uh, and I don't think there's even really any incentive-based either. Um, the most recent small subdivision, it really is just an <coughs> infill. The, the, uh, the developer is just kind of filling in. Uh, his lot's going to be 6,000 square feet. But we're not really seeing anything smaller than that. So 6,000 square feet or bigger, but there's no incentive. There's no really kind of directive that way. Um, and sprawl is a problem because the other consequences are, like you said, you have to build infrastructure that way. That means, you know, water that way. That means sewage that way and sidewalks and so on, green space like I talked about a second ago, and new schools. You know, so those have consequences too. And a new Starbucks. That's right. <laughs> Except that Starbucks will pay their own way. That's right. The schools, the fire departments have to be paid for by by the governments. Correct. Yeah. You know, so you have to find that balance of housing and then all those other things too because you don't you also don't want to just, you know, go do a free for all for housing because then you have to have schools and stuff like that too. You mm-hmm. know, so those are those things you have to consider. So, there's a term out there called nimbyism, mm-hmm. not in my backyard. So, let's say I buy a house, my 6,000 square foot lot, my my, you know, palace, and there's a vacant lot behind me and next thing I know, here comes an industrial site going in right behind me. How does that work, uh, planning-wise? I mean, do you try to keep certain things, indu- industries, retail, off to one side? or? Well, you know, a well-planned city um, is not just going to plan for the year coming, but five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road. So to your point, you know, we may put industrial uh, where it makes sense, maybe off of a highway or off of a freeway, right, off of main exits, um, and maybe housing somewhere else and kind of separate them a little bit. That way in five, 10 years down the road, if that housing grows and industrial grows, they're not going to be right next to each other. We're going to have some separations there. And so planning isn't just about today or even just this year, but five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. But then planning is just one piece of the puzzle. You still have uh, the city uh, council and their, you know, jur- their uh, ideas too and their direction, county, supervis- county board of supervisors too and their direction, and the school district too. Mm-hmm. And also you've got to create a free market to where people will, somebody will want to build there. I heard a city council meeting here in Fresno one time, and it had to do with the Fulton Mall uh, teardown and turning it into Fulton Street. And somebody went to the microphone and said, well, the city needs to put a Burger King down here. They need to put a retail store. But the city can't do that. The city doesn't build Burger King. Um, You know, it's got to be the city building the infrastructure to where Burger King will want to come in. And, you know, that's actually a common um, misconception, I guess, of the city. People think that the city has that direction or that, that power to bring in those kind of businesses, and that's absolutely not what happens. Uh, when we approved that Starbucks just a few weeks ago, we had some complaints on social media that says, well, what about uh, another kind of coffee shop? Where's our target at? Where's the Costco at? Well, Planning Commission, we, first of all, we don't have those phone numbers to those people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, We're just regular citizens that just stepped up to get involved and you know, 
voicing our opinions on how the city should be planned. Um, but we have no direction. Every, that has to come from uh, you know other other sources. So that's the free market. Correct. You, you, you build the infrastructure and let the market come to you. And so if it's Starbucks or if it's Joe's Coffee Shop, it's whoever wants to make that investment there. Correct. If you were to say, no, you can't come in because we're going to allow somebody else, then that's not a, a free market. Correct. And the city of Madeira, you know, at least from the planning commission's standpoint is we're not trying to turn anybody away but we want to have smart growth uh, and we want to make sure that uh, this is going to last 10 15 20 years uh, down the road and like you said industrial over here we want some housing over here maybe some retail in the middle here mm-hmm. um so do you get much of that nimbyism where you're making a decision on a development uh, a potential development do you have neighbors coming to the planning commission saying, hey, not in my backyard? You know, in just this most recent um, planning commission meeting, a um, uh, popular developer in Madeira was, uh, you know, trying to get his uh, his subdivision approved. And a neighbor who lives at the end of a cul-de-sac where that cul-de-sac was going to be extended into the new subdivision wrote a complaint, not a complaint, but a concerned email uh, addressed to the commission. Happens to be a past client of mine. So he wasn't quite a NIMBY, but he had a concern. His lot slightly larger, like seven, 8,000 square feet, and these are going to be 6,000 square foot lots and smaller houses. So his concern was, how is that developer going to blend the the three or four year old houses that were slightly bigger into these smaller houses and smaller lots. We addressed it, the builder addressed it, and I think at the end of the day, the, that neighbor's happy, happier than he could have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Madeira sure is growing. Uh, I mean, it's, I told you, I, I, 40 years ago, I bought there, and um, I, I, I only lived there about, or less than a year. <laughs> I realized that, you know, my softball team was in Fresno, my work was in Fresno, and I, driving through 20 miles of uh, orchards to get to work was a long ways, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, now it's maybe only eight or nine miles of orchard. That's the re- right. The rest <laughs> of it is city. Oh, and then, um, of course, you're on the city planning, right? That's correct. Okay, because I was about to ask a county question. Go for it. it. Maybe I might know. Okay. Well, um, you've got all that development now uh, going out north of 41 in Madera County. Yes, the Riverstone at 12 and 41 and Tesoro Viejo at uh, 15 and 41. Right. Um, how do you see those developing out? Well, you know, Riverstone, I think, is almost built out, at least their, you know, their first corner there. I know mm-hmm. they haven't built in uh, any of the commercial and uh, the park, and I think they're supposed to get a school and a fire station there at Riverstone. They haven't built those things out. They're still pulling out some of those old olive orchards um, or those old olive trees, but the infrastructure is there. Um, along the, there's a small river there, um, and but the houses, I think, are pretty much built out right now. They got a gorgeous uh, community center, uh, I think called The Lodge. Super gorgeous. If you're interested in buying a home, go down to 12 and 41. Riverstone is very gorgeous. Now, Tesoro Viejo, um, I actually do like that development because they built a school first. They built a um, uh, like a town center first, and then they start building some houses there. 
and it's just gorgeous on the hillside there. Um, uh, those are a little bit pricier houses, uh, the higher end stuff. Um, but apparently there's already some people moved in and they just broke ground not too long ago. So I think that's actually going to be pretty good too. All right. Yeah. And I have been to that, uh, lodge at Riverstone. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a there. resort. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and with that, we are going to go to our next commercial break. So stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have Alex Salazar, the president of the Madera Association of Realtors and a realtor with Century 21 M&M here in the studio with us. And um, Alex has a lot of unique experiences being on the planning commission, being a government affairs director. Uh, probably the hardest job of all, though, of all the ones you have, is a realtor. It is. It, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it so hard? It's not that it's... That's a curveball, by the way. I didn't, I didn't plan that <laughs> Yeah, one. you didn't. I have lots of notes over here, Don, and you, that wasn't on my notes. <laughs> it's not that it's hard. Um, I just think that if you want to do anything, me personally, you want to do anything well, you really need to educate yourself and so on. And realtor, there's a lot to be educated on for the consumer, for future consumers, for the public, and everything like that, too. So mm-hmm. it's a very tough uh, – it's more than just writing a contract selling a house. There's all this other knowledge and then education and a whole bunch of things to, to oh. do. All right. Enough with the curveballs. Thanks so much. I'm going back to lobbying you a softball. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So why is housing so expensive in California? You know, uh, I – Recently watched a YouTube post, the Wall Street Journal, with just this topic on it. Uh, they broke it down into basically five uh, different reasons. And number one, it is the high cost of uh, new construction. Um, you have, for instance, in the Bay Area, coastal regions, you don't want to buy a house brand new on the side of a cliff that could one day possibly fall into the ocean. You know, there's a lot of cost into making sure that that cliff's going to be stable. Uh, and you want to have high-quality building materials, too, uh, those costs go into new construction, uh, and so, therefore, IE brings up the prices for those houses in those areas, you know. Okay, I'm going to nickname that one soil stability. Soil stability, very good, you know. And then even here in the valley, right, let's make it local. Let's make it relative to our listeners here. Madera, for instance, Madera Ranchos, um, the city and the county, you want to build – um, you know, subdivision or infill. I represent a small builder who builds some houses in the ranchos, and so we build on existing vacant lots. We're not building a big subdivision. We're just infilling, right? Um, and so the county road might exist, but the lot itself may have no water, no septic, uh, or no sewer, and no electricity. So the builder has to bring in those utilities, expense to new construction, um, and then there's requirements on those. Well has to be so deep, uh, and then the house has to you know, also meet certain energy uh, efficiency um, uh, goals that the, color, that the state has. Everyone wants to live in a energy efficient home. I'd rather have you know, th- uh, dual pane windows or um, you know, six inch walls and extra insulation and pay a lower energy bill versus paying a whole bunch of money to bankrupt PG&E. So there's also that cost too into new construction. Um, and so, yeah, new construction is a little bit expensive um, because of all those costs, and it does drive up the cost and the affordability of housing. 
And I think a misconception, most people would think that in a new development that the city was the one that put the roads and the curbs and sidewalks in. But not the case, right? Not the case. And, you know, our conversation just a second ago about planning commission, you know, a city and a county, a county has commission, uh, planning commissions too. Uh, and it's about planning a community or a county well, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. Um, but that doesn't mean that a planning commission today can predict where a subdivision is going to go or nonetheless do we want to dictate where a subdivision wants to, you know, needs to go. So, you know, fast forward five, 10 years down the line and a builder or investor comes along and says, I want to build X amount of houses in a certain area, there may not be that infrastructure. Well, that builder has to bring that in, and those costs goes into new construction. That's not new, and that's not unique to California. That's everywhere, you know. Um, but what drives up the cost of housing are those initial costs of fees, taxes, school facility fees. Uh, those goes to building brand-new schools and so on. Uh, and so, therefore, brings up the prices of housing, too. But, the, you know, you mentioned misconception. So Wall Street Journal, they, they did a very good four-minute YouTube video on this issue. Um, and they mentioned the median price range in California is $519,000, over a million in San Francisco and other Bay Area counties like that, for a small two-bedroom apartment, a million bucks, or 800, 900 square feet for a 67-year-old home over a million dollars in San Francisco. So if you're a couple, you know, professionals, each making over $100,000, that's not very affordable for you, you know. But bring it back here to Fresno and Madeira, where our median price ranges is 250 260 270 it can get you into a brand-new home, a little bit more affordable here. So it's all relative. There's some misconceptions, big headlines. California housing prices is going really, really high. When you look at the Central Valley, a little bit more affordable. It's, I always find it interesting that the Central Valley's median home price is pretty much the same as the United States as a whole, but yet California is more than double, or, or well, about double um, what, what the Central Valley is and the nation. So, boy, being close to that Pacific Ocean must uh, really add Has its cost, yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> And going back to those five things you talked about, one of them I dubbed it soil stability. But, you know, the cost of building a safe, secure home based on the terrain. So if you're on a cliff, yeah, you probably want to make sure, and your insurance company wants to make sure, you're on safe ground. And, you know, the state of California is very unique. We have all sorts of weather here in California. It's not just sunshine every, you know, 365 days of the year. We had rain here just a few days ago in tornado spots popping up all over the Central Valley, right? Mm -hmm. We had hail and snow just a couple of miles north of us, you know, uh, and then we have 100-plus degree weather in the middle of summer, you know, and, and we have fog and, and all that kind of stuff. And then we also have earthquakes, you know. Um, our neighbors to the north over here in Oakhurst and Gold, fires and uh, uh, flash flooding and, and things like that, uh, all these other natural disaster kind of stuff that happens throughout the state of California. So we have a lot of unique weather issues too. Um, but those flash floods and fire hazards and, um, and flood zones and earthquake zones also go into impacting uh, the cost of construction of new housing too. Mm -hmm. So what are those five? Those five factors. Uh, well, again, so the high cost of uh, fees, um, uh, we touched a little bit on that. Um, 
Prop 13 and taxes, um, you know, uh, land use. Uh, city and county may want to uh, encourage more commercial and industrial uh, development over new housing because of Proposition 13. There's not a lot of, um, I guess, residual taxes that you can get from housing versus commercial and industrial in the long run for some communities. So that's kind of interesting. So the cities would prefer a piece of land to have um, commercial on it rather than residential. Correct. Because the city can get more money. Correct. Because you're going to have taxes on that development. You're going to have taxes on the building and all those kind of things, but then sales taxes, right, where you don't have that on housing. So there goes that unintended consequence I talked about before. There's a, a push in, by some people in Sacramento to do a thing called split roll, which means residential would stay on Prop 13, the 1%, uh, but commercial can, can uh, go much higher than that. So the unintended consequence is we're going to have even less residential, less homes, because people in a free market are going to want land to go to the, uh, and even the cities are going to want it to go commercial. And so one other factor, too, is foreign investment. You know, uh, you have uh, just a few years ago, we had a huge buying spree from foreign investors from places like China, for instance, buying heavily in the Bay Area, really drastically increasing property values there. And um, but buying up all the available properties uh, because of foreign investment um, and taking away uh available housing. And then like you said, too, if you have more commercial and less housing, that's less available housing. And so, you know, it's it's a uh, um, um, it's a it's it's a natural thing that happens where, you know, the price is just going to go up. So uh, Governor Newsom has said in his state of the state that we need more housing and he's pushing for that. Can you tell us about that one? Yes, Governor Newsom, uh, in his State of the State address uh, just um, several, a few weeks ago, uh, has announced $1.75 billion or something like that in his state budget uh, directly towards housing. And I think some like $750 million uh, directly to incentives for cities and counties to choose low-income, mixed, and middle-income housing over high-end housing over commercial and um, so he's really trying to incentivize these cities and counties uh, to really encourage those kind of new constructions. Central Valley, like I said, we're a little bit more affordable than the Bay Area in Southern California, but I think that's opportunity even for our communities here, the Kermans, the Selmas, the Sangers, Madera, Chachula, to take advantage of those incentives. Uh, that's state money that we normally may not get that we can use towards our streets, towards our ailing infrastructure. Madera has some infrastructure that's over 100 years old. Um, some of that incentives can go towards that if we focus on some of those uh, housing needs, lower income, middle, and mixed. Mm -hmm. So how is the homeless situation in Madera? Is there a lot of homelessness there? There is, and it's it's actually uh, it's a growing trend, I think, across the valley. Um, no unique situations happening in Madera that's not happening in other parts of California. It is housing costs. It is housing affordability. Um, it is jobs, too. But I think majority of the homelessness uh, is mental health, some drug use, 
uh, and things like that that uh, housing can't address, you know. Um, but it's part of the conversation nonetheless. And so, yes, homelessness is increased in Madeira. Yeah. I, I think in the housing industry we can say, well, hey, that's not us. You know, that that's about mental health. That's about drug abuse. But, you know, if a if 25% of the problem was ours and we dealt with that 25%, it then it's not as big. Right. But I liked what you say. It's not unique to Madeira. Um, I've heard people talk about the homelessness here in Fresno, but, man, you go to other cities. When we travel for CAR Absolutely. and NAR, you see it everywhere. Absolutely. Um, well, I remember somebody in Long Beach saying, Wow, notice there's no homeless people around here. I said, walk on the next block over. And sure enough, on I think it was called the Esplanade or something like that. Oh, it's just that's where they were all hanging out. That's right. Yeah. Like I said, it's not unique to any specific city or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's a, it's def- homelessness is definitely a problem. Housing is an issue. It's not the only issue for homelessness, though, however. Mm-hmm. Well, we are uh, in line right now for a commercial break, but stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and Alex Salazar of Century 21. M&M is here in the studio with us. So um, you're pretty involved with the realtor business. So I, I'd like to ask you, because I think your opinion would would matter, and that is, what is your forecast for the spring of 2019? Well, first of all, I think the spring 2019 buying season got off to a late start. Uh, you know, the government shutdown did really impact um regular buyers right here in the Central Valley. You know, our buyers are primarily working in ag, um, medical, you know, field, that kind of stuff, um, and heavily rely on tax returns um, to kick off, you know, their buying season, whether that's paying down some debt to buy a house, um, buy a new car, furniture, you know, so on and so forth. Um, our Many of our buyers rely on that tax credit to get jumpstart their home buying, you know, uh, um, process and so not anyways, to mention the uncertainty that's correct that, that had to go through everybody's minds so you know i think it delayed um, the buying season it should have started maybe a month month and a half ago or so so i think we're a little bit behind on there but still nonetheless strong because uh, another consequence to uh, the government affairs uh, sorry the, uh, the government shutdown was the feds did reduce their interest rates so i think that made buyers say hey you know, it's probably still a pretty good time to buy. And here's a little weird thing happening. The interest rates went down. They were supposed to go up, and they went down a little bit. You know, everything you just said made sense compared to these numbers <laughs> I'm about to throw out. And this was unplanned. So, you know, call this a change-up, a curveball, or whatever. But it all fits. So I just ran some stats this morning. And in two th- and, and now this is for Fresno County. Sure. Um in 2018, from January 1 through today, uh, or excuse me, January 1 through March 16th of 2018, there were 1,525 sales. This year, there's same period of time, only 1,265. So it's down 240 uh, sales. However, 
this is so that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying about getting off to a slow start. However, there is a boatload of pendings. So there's that. It's kickstarting now, and maybe the lower interest rates spur, uh, sparked people to go buy because there's 1,150 of them for, um, in escrow right now with only 1,500 active listings. And I have a theory as to why there's probably a lot of pendings, too. So right now, over the last you know several years, home, pro- home values have significantly increased. I think something like 85% in California over the last eight or nine years. Um, so home values have definitely increased. If you bought a home at the very low end of the recession, you have probably over $100,000 in some cases in equity that you can go and buy another home. So in other words, I'm working with a lot of sellers right now that are going to sell their home and buy another one. So you have these longer escrow periods. So A, maybe the buyer is a first-time home buyer relying on that tax credit. It's taking a bit longer to get. And B, the seller is looking for that next home. So that that transaction is a little bit longer than maybe spring 2018, where we had maybe just more first-time home buyers than we had move-up sellers or relocating sellers. You know, Alex, I'd say this, but this is making sense. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really does, um, and I hadn't thought of that. You before. have to make sense to make dollars, Don. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, those are worse than mine. <laughs> I thought my jokes were bad. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, here's an interesting thing, too, in, in the statistics. Uh, the median price went up about, let's see, well, about $10,000 uh, in Fresno County. So even though the number of sales is down, the median price went up a modest amount. $10,000 is not a lot. In fact, I'll even call that a healthy growth. It, it, you know, if let's say it was a hundred thousand, I'm going to say that's not so healthy because, you know, pretty soon it's not affordable. Right. Um, and that's pretty close to my stats for Madera County. Um, I think there's about seven thousand dollars difference there. And by the way, this is a great opportunity to let everybody know what I've said before about statistics. Um, if I were to pull statistics and Alex were to pull statistics on this at the same time, they would come out different because it's what you input as your parameters, uh, what your source is. So um, there's always the rest of the story. Correct. And, you know, this is one source, and it's a great source, the MLS, um, but that may not be all the new construction activity, mm-hmm. too. You know, you said here that the year-over-year um, uh, Prices are, or the number of uh, transactions are down. What if that's more new construction that may not be reported on the MLS? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a very good point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Madera has your own multiple listing service. That's correct. Fresno has their own. So different sources. But isn't it amazing how similar things are? So even though different sources, different input, different parameters, we're still coming up with the same trend. Right. All right. So um, do you think by the end, of, let's say by June, what do you think we're going to look back and say, hey, we're, it's a healthy market? You know, I think you have a conversation of, with realtors and, and lenders um, several weeks ago, 
and things were looking a bit tough for 2019. You have a conversation now, and everyone's busy. People are buying. Like I said, people, I think, are getting their tax returns, a little bit more confidence. They're looking at that lower interest rate, taking advantage of that low interest rate, too. So I think by June, we're going to have a still pretty strong 2019, maybe not as strong as 2018. There's a couple of factors. Number one, probably a little bit more new construction available out there. Uh, number two, um, you know, home values have kind of slowed down. I think 2018, we did see probably our biggest increase in home values in a year. And that kind of tapered off a little bit in uh, 2019, you know. So, but I still think uh, still uh, a strong sales uh, for 2019 um, and still low interest rates. So I'm going to ask you a question that a client asked me this week. Are we in a seller's market? No, I don't think so. I think we're in a buyer's market a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. I think buyers have uh, the upper hand. Um, you know, there's a little bit more of them. Um, and, you know, I think, like I said, sellers, you know, last year, low, very low inventory um, and could take advantage of, you know, increased prices and multiple offers. Buyers, I think, have the upper hand in 2019. There's a little bit of a struggle there, too, because what I'm noticing in the market is sellers still believe it's a seller's market. Buyers are feeling more confident, like they, like it's their market. And it seems like there's more, and I don't want to say conflict, but conflicts inside of an escrow. It might be over a window pane. It might be over roof repair, whatever. But it just seems like buyers are holding their ground a little more than they were a couple of years ago. That's right. And, you know, even a conversation you and I had this morning, um, every situation is unique, but we have buyers who are coming from renting into owning. And if they move out too early, like we talked about this morning in our conversation, that creates new kind of um, these kind of issues in escrows. You know, I talking to sellers in the fall of 2018, I said, Things slow down a little bit in the fall. It's not necessarily that it's going, the market's going down or anything like that whatsoever, uh, but you have to expect these trends are going to change. So maybe slightly longer escrows for these reasons. You're moving, you're relocating out of your current home into another home. Maybe a buyer's moving out of a current home into, so I'll have to sell the house to buy your house. A little bit longer escrows. And what Alex is really trying to say to finish the story I was telling him is if you're renting an apartment, don't give your 30-day notice too soon. <laughs> give it when you have a loan approval and you sign your loan docs. Pay yeah. that extra few bucks to comfortably take your time to move out of your rental situation into your new home. It'll be there when you get there. And real quickly, the, the horror story I was telling Alex is that I had a um, seller who moved to New Zealand. And so I even was on top of the game. I thought, I told the escrow officer, why don't we send the grant deed to get notarized in the first week of the escrow rather than the last week to expedite it? Because, you know, it's going to take a few extra days. Well, it wasn't a few extra days. It was a few extra weeks. It took over four and a half weeks for that process to, to happen. And in the meantime, the buyers had to move into a hotel and... But all we, we were at the mercy of FedEx and getting this thing, who had to sub it out to New Zealand Courier, and, and things got lost. And you can't record a sale without a document to record, <laughs> so, and with, without it being properly notarized. And as we found out in New Zealand, getting an American 
um, notary is not too simple. That's right. So uh, going back to our earlier conversation, no, this is not an easy job. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an easy job. There's so many variables, and it changes day by day. And every situation is different. You just have to roll with the punches, I guess. All right. So what is – we just have about a minute left. So what would you say is your best advice you could give home buyers out there? You know, the right time to buy is when you're ready to buy. Don't listen to the headlines. They're news-making headlines. Talk to a local professional. There's no more truth in that. And when you're ready, you're ready. The home's there. You'll find it. You hook up with a good professional, and they'll get you into the right home right away. Mm-hmm. I like that. I li- it's not what the newspaper says that you know it's a hot market or a buyer's market, seller's market. It's when you personally are ready. That's the right time to buy. That's right. Well, Alex Salazar, I want to thank you very much for coming in today. You are a great guest. Um, never short on a, on a word. Thanks so much, Don. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio. 